Welcome, citizens of the globe, to the Front End Heroes podcast, where we discuss all things villainous and heroic about the front end of software development. My name is Evan Payne, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Scott Francis. How are you, Scott? I'm really good. Really good today, Evan. Uh, thanks. I had a really enjoyable morning. Um, I actually went swimming this morning before starting work. Nice. Uh, it was super nice. I went out expecting the sea to be really cold, and um, it wasn't. It was really nice, and swam out and... Uh, watch the sunrise while I was in the water. It was like idyllic. So yeah, I'm in a pretty good mood. <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. That's why you live by the Mediterranean. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good too. It's a, a few weeks till my vacations start and uh, yeah, I need them. So it's all good. Um, I'm currently sitting outside up on my terrace, uh, which is beautiful and it's not raining today. So that's nice as well. Today's episode is sponsored by NetCentric, an award-winning Adobe Global Alliance partner. Uh, Both Scott and I work here as senior front-end software engineers, and we are still glad to have their support with this show. Today's episode is called 12 Monkeys, but with Batman. Uh, And it's uh, the topic in general is asynchronous code and how front-enders have to deal with events that don't happen in direct order. Um, But coming up with an episode title was surprisingly difficult, related to superheroes, because while we know storylines related to time travel, Superman turning the planet backwards and Doctor Strange doing some stuff, um, there don't seem to be any, like, this guy's superpower is time travel stuff. Um, and I know there are. Don't Please don't, like, yell at me on Twitter or something. But um, pop culture-wise, it's not as prevalent. And I wonder why that might be. <laughs> Because I would say because Back to the Future has everything covered. If you want time travel, then just go to Marty McFly and Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah, so, so and, and you know, like, I think a lot of people, well, hopefully a lot of people know 12 Monkeys. If you don't watch the movie, and then maybe watch the TV show, I don't really know. But, um, you know, neither Back to the Future or this are our superheroes. So, you know, it's interesting that generally it's like, only science allows time travel, <laughs> um, and they figure it out somehow. But 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 what I wanted to lead into with that is that it's complicated, and I think that's why it doesn't take off in pop culture, because every time travel movie is really hard to figure out what's going on and follow the loops and remember, like, Memento and things like that, where it wasn't time travel, but it was still time-related, and it was super complex. And our brains are not really set up for that. Um, so, yeah, that, that for me segues into our segment is yeah asynchronous is kind of hard um but yeah i mean what's been your experience with it scott um maybe you know promises or even earlier callbacks and things like that how how have you had to deal with it i can really remember like working with callbacks but um but my experience with that was was limited um actually my first real experiences as like an engineer with it where was using promises when I was working in a, uh, my first angular project. Um, and I echo your, um, your, uh, thoughts there that it was hard. Like I, it, for me, it was one thing that I, it was one thing that I really, really struggled with. Um, whether it was actually like the concept of, of the promise um, or whether it was just that for some reason I couldn't get my head around the syntax of it. Um, but it was something that I did struggle with. Um, and now when I'm just, now I've actually just said that, I think that it was probably 
really for me the syntax and um and getting used to that because the the, the concept of actually uh, of the of the promise is i suppose is it difficult it, it, it actually it actually is isn't it because you're you're asking for something and knowing that something is going to be there but it's not there uh, if i'm uh, like that's that's how i could summarize it like it's which does seem totally weird yeah well, well what blew my mind when i was first learning promises and i had to remember i remember i had to like use bluebird library or i think i was trying to do it in node and i had to use q or something anyway it was already the edge of my understanding at that time and it was really like i don't i don't even really understand javascript that well at that stage and i'm trying to do this thing which none of the tutorials talk about i mean yeah they, now they do but but back then it was like yeah this is new we should have had this in from the language from the start but we have added it on afterwards as a as a afterthought and now you can do this thing where you create a new promise and i'm like i don't know what that is yet so so it my, my problem with it was compounded it was it was not just asynchronous and dealing with like this stuff but it was also using class features and using like new instances of things and i just wasn't ready for that it's a lot to take in all at once when you're when you're just starting in javascript yeah it really is and i, I i'd echo that i think that maybe we were at the same stage um because uh, as i think i've mentioned before on this podcast that um my time in the industry was not always time spent as um as what i would call an engineer which i would consider myself to be now but uh, and so before so going from not being an engineer to like working in an angular project where we've decided that we're going to use um promises was a hell of a leap and i think that maybe like that's just that wasn't really helping my understanding i mean like at the end it is um it is more complex than i think that uh people would actually care to admit um i, I think something in in our industry is something new comes out and people really want to demonstrate that they can use it and they can understand it and it almost like for some people it becomes like really difficult to say do you know i just don't get this um <laughs> like i i'm i'm missing something here like because they don't want to look like the one who doesn't understand it when everybody else seems to um and maybe i was maybe personally i was at that stage uh there i was just you know trying to work out how angular worked and never worked with it trying to work then trying to work out how promises worked um and so it was just it that was actually quite a daunting time but we're there now yeah definitely i i i do remember around that time or well no anyway early days at at uh, our our workplace um I was, I really wanted to go to senior and I thought I was ready. And our, our architect uh, came up and asked me a question about promises. And I was just like, I've used them like once. And I was like hemming and hawing and not quite answering. And he, he referenced that later in the performance, not performance review, but like the, I don't think he's ready to go to senior review <laughs> where he was like, and he didn't really even know how promises worked. And like, uh, it's, it's hard. And, you know, the thing is promises only solve like one asynchronous thing uh at least they have like a 
you know, they have then and then they have catch. But there's a whole other host of things that can happen. And you want to do another asynchronous thing afterwards. You have a nested promise and then you're back to like nesting. And that was what the reason promises were nice to remove callback hell where you have one callback and another and another and another. But uh, so then someone created RxJS or anyway, Rx in general, reactive thinking. And I use this constantly now, but I remember Angular implemented it. Angular 2 uh, implemented RxJS kind of as part of how it worked. And you you start to like, you figure out how it works through using Angular. And then you're like, okay, I want to use more of this. I'm starting to get how observables work. I'm starting to understand and think in streams, but it is still really hard. Even like two and a half, three years on, there are still times where I just get like, stumped and stuck because I'm like, well, this thing fired an asynchronous event. It got pushed into the stream. And now I've got these four other asynchronous events that I'm also checking for. And now all of them seem to be firing at once. Why is that? Oh, it's because the combined uh, combined latest operator does that. And it's like, but I, oh man, how do I refactor that? It just gets really really complex so so like yeah i mean you're taking me into territory now that like i <laughs> that i don't really like that i don't really know um and so like how do you how do you deal with this then i mean you're working in an application you're building an application that relies on this uh this sort of stuff whereas uh i'm currently working in a project which doesn't require it we don't really have state um so like how do you how do you go about um, deciding the architecture for this kind of thing. Yeah. So because we were working with Angular already, um, the first thing was, okay, well, then we want to be all in with Reactive, uh, which is to say, if um, a user clicks on a button and that is going to change the state in some way, um, that should be an observable stream. So the that button's click you know, add event listener click, those should be transformed into push into this observable stream. So then you have an existing stream that can be tapped into to perform various operations and side effects. Um, So starting to think in that way is the most important thing. And it's not easy to do. You're used to it. The sometimes the actual like actual way the DOM works does not lend itself to this. Um, But you can with any event um, you can use from event. There's a, an um, observable creator uh, method that um, allows you to just turn it into a stream. So you, you do have some helper things with that. But then trying to wrap your mind around it, everything should be this way. It's it's much different from your normal kind of imperative style programming. You have to do everything when the component is being set up. So, okay, yeah, I want to listen to this click event. I don't do it in like a method that fires when the click event happens. I do it in the constructor of the component and I say, hey, this stream exists, tap into it, combine it with this other thing, something that comes from the parent. Sometimes I even turn my Angular inputs into streams, behavior subjects, so that I can push them into this stream and combine them and mix them together. It's a lot. It's really confusing at first, but after a while it starts to flow. Um, So so... do you... so? Now you've now you've worked with this like a lot, um, and do you now think that this is like um, like better than anything that we've had before? Do you think that this is like the way to work? 
Um, or is it something that is very much like, um, like project dependence? Like for instance, um, it's often said that if you, if you work with a framework, if you work with like Angular all the time, then your answer to every problem could be, could become like, let's make an Angular application. Do you think yeah. that this is something like similar? Once you get into it, you think um, that everything should use this um, like reactive programming or is it very much something that's like um, for, that, that suits a project? Um, yeah, I, I may be the wrong person to ask about that because I am very much the one that goes, okay, I want to do this new thing. And as soon as I know that there's a backend call involved, so some sort of asynchronous call, um, or that there is some sort of state, I go for Angular and I go for um, NGRX and I go for you know RxJS built in because like I'm comfortable with that. I know that I'm super fast at it. Um, so yeah, my answer would be, yeah, yeah, sure. Just use it everywhere. And I know that's not correct for sure. Um, there are times when you really don't need this. It's the same thing. Uh, one of our, uh, one of my mentors, as, as you will, used to tell me, yeah, like, you know, Redux and, and state management is great, but you don't really reach for it out of the box. You'll know when you need it. And that has been true as well. Um, an example would be with NGRX. On the current project I'm working on, we started setting it up and I said, okay, maybe I don't need NGRX. We have um, internal state. We have services. Maybe it's enough using reactive programming to have some observable that lives in the service, and then the other components can tap into it because it's a, essentially a singleton. It's it's injected only once throughout the whole app. Um, maybe this is appropriate. And what I found was within like you know two weeks of development really weird stuff was happening and like things were firing twice or not at all. And it just was not making sense. And it makes me like doubt that I knew what I was doing. And at, at, at that stage I went, well, screw it. I, 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 ha I know that NGRX in particular uh, is going to provide me with some safety around everything. I'm just going to implement that whether it feels like it's too heavy or not, we're just going to do it. And since then we haven't had those issues. So yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I don't. Is the is the the cost like the weight of uh, of using this like so much that it's not a good solution? Um, I mean, does it, does it really like impact performance um, if you use it where perhaps you could use something else? I mean, is it something that's like for for sure using a framework where you don't need it? It's just adding like huge amounts of extra weight. But is this the same thing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't measured the cost. Um, it's quite verbose, which is to say you write a lot of code in the end, especially with NGRX. Um, so you, for, for any given flow, the component, like, well, <laughs> in the way that I write it, I create a facade. So I create this sort of public API for the bit of the store, the bit of the state that I want to expose. And I say, yeah, this is the, you know, news store but it's the facade for that and then i would say get articles or load articles uh the component would say that and then under the hood in this facade it would do the dispatch an action the action would get picked up there would be a side effect so it would say hey whenever this action comes into the stream do this asynchronous call and then when you get the response back whatever it is dispatch another action which is either success or fail and then the reducer picks up 
the uh, you know, the tail end of that and pushes it back into the global state. And then you have selectors, which are memoized versions of the state. So they only update or like, you know, fire a new stream event to the listeners when that part of the state is updated and the component in return subscribes to the, uh, that selector that's exposed by the facade. So it's, it's roundabout. It seems like a lot. There certainly are a lot of files per patch of state. And yet I have so many, I, I don't have many bugs anymore related to this kind of stuff. If the backend gives me this response. I'm confident that the component knows exactly what it's getting and that it'll come into my component's stream of things that it's listening to and merge perfectly with all of the local storage that's happening there, or the local component state. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's a lot. And yeah, there's a lot of files and maybe there's a lot of code. I hope a lot of it gets like taken away by uh, gzip. But at the end of the day, I know exactly what's happening and I know there's a right place for everything I need to happen in that structure and that flow and I'm secure. So maybe that's worth the trade-off. That, that being said, I have not measured it. <laughs> um, so maybe I'm totally off base and it's adding like an extra two megabytes or something. Yeah. I think you, well, I think you would have noticed like a huge impact like that, but um, I, I think that it raises, it, it, it makes me think, does this kind of thing, um, cut down on like your like any edge cases that there are like if or um, certainly I imagine that this completely gets rid of like um, like race conditions. Um, so it's something that we that we see like quite a lot when we when we develop. I mean, maybe people have um, maybe people have um, got cleverer with this, but I still see people have problems. And basically, it's like, oh, this is a race condition. Um, whereas how you're describing reactive programming, um, it seems like you're almost taking that out of the equation um, if it's done correctly. Is that right? Mostly. So it gets rid of a lot of those. And 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 one thing is it makes certain things trivially easy. So there was this one thing I had to implement where the um, the user would click on something and it would send it off uh, the request to the the back end and then depending on the risk well while it was sending there would be a loading spinner and then uh, inside this little like modal overlay and then when the response came back there would be an animated check mark that displayed for three seconds and then the modal would close um, that is a lot and it's complicated and you have to do a lot of checks and all of that but it took like an hour um, and and the actual bit of like waiting three seconds after like even if removing the server call click on the button wait three seconds and then close it that was also really simple um maybe it is simple but it, it i feel like it would have taken a lot more code than it did and that was cool but the race conditions aren't always removed we we it, we have in our thing there's something that sets when you navigate that sets the global theme, but then another component also was setting the theme. So they were firing a similar action and one was happening immediately after the other and it got a little messy there. So you have to be careful still, but there are a whole host of things that get removed in that case. That's, that is nice. I mean, I think that that's like something that would really appeal um, to me. And I think that it would be, it would be something that would really help 
um, it's it's a strange thing because I'm I'm about to say this with this is something that I think would really help like um, like new new coders, new um, like junior developers, because they're more likely I think to see uh, things with race conditions. Like, um, but also this seems like a complex step and a complex um, uh, methodology for for like newer people to actually grasp. So. I don't know whether yeah. there would be a trade-off there, like something worth going straight into that um, reactive thinking. So the thing is that, that the, the setup is not that easy. I mean, maybe it's gotten easier, and if maybe if you're just doing no framework, just RxJS, it's okay. But I think even so, like observable creation is a hard thing to understand, observables versus subjects. That's also, I've, I still don't quite get it um i definitely understand streams and i definitely understand once the observable exists or once i have a behavior subject that makes perfect sense to me somehow uh sure no problem from there but the actual like creation and like hot versus cold and all that stuff never clicked for me yet um but once you have it set up and it's already working in your project like when angular implemented it in and it's just kind of present um then it's not so hard to pick up we had on an internal project um one of our developers was you know an associate level not full not junior but you know new enough to this and she did struggle with understanding the flow of flux methodology and especially with side effects added in which isn't always present but once she got it she came to appreciate the safety it provided and i think that was the key is that after a while, she started to see, oh, okay, yeah, it's a lot of places to like write your code, but everything has a place and it just works. Um, that's 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 been really nice to see and sort of prove that it is worth the effort to understand. Yeah. So um, you mentioned there, like the you've and you've alluded to it a couple of times, like the the extra the extra coding, the extra like um, almost that abstraction, if you like. Um, now. One of the things that front enders like, particularly about JavaScript, is the 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 fast um, and loose uh, style for the for the language. Do you think that this? I mean, we see with things like TypeScript that there's um, that things are getting like tighter. Um, do you think that using something like this is also moving away from like the traditional like fast paced uh, nature of uh, front end in in favor of uh, security and reliability i mean not necessarily because i think you don't have to use typescript with it um but again you maybe you're asking the wrong person because i don't like that i don't like that it's fast and loose i don't like that i mean i've seen so many bugs where that nothing yelled at me when I passed this as through as a number and it should have been a string until I got to the moment where I pat like parsed it incorrectly and it like broke the freaking website. I, I don't like that. I need, I, I really appreciate the security. Like we even had a bug the other day um, where I made some, did some refactoring, changed some things, removed some stuff a month ago. And the only reason it was working is because it expected a Boolean for this third argument. And I provided an object that I wasn't using. So it still was returning true. So the thing that wanted it to be true was still working. But then when I removed uh, the second argument and left the third one in, something like that, now suddenly it was getting false. 
And I was like, what happened here? And it was because I passed through an object instead of a Boolean. Like, oh my God, you should have yelled at me for that. That's not okay. And okay, there are some times where fast and loose is okay, right? Like um, you want to evaluate if this is null or undefined or, or, or something or exists or not, right? True or false, Boolean essentially. But the rest of it, I don't like. And it, and it really, for me, it, it has potential to introduce way too many bugs. That's all. So, so to get back to your question, I don't think that this kind of asynchronous programming necessarily stops you from doing that because inside the actual mapping of um, stream events or promise callbacks or whatever, you still can do whatever you want. Um, but that it has built in support for TypeScript or that TypeScript, you know, supports it is, um, very invaluable for keeping track of what you're actually passing around. Um, my, my question back to you maybe uh, is, okay, so you're not using this sort of stuff. And for me, it's become invaluable, especially when dealing with server calls. Um, like I have a service, so I know like, okay, the component is never allowed to say HTTP.get or fetch this. Like it's never allowed to do that. It has to hand off to a service. Um, one, that re reduces repetition of code, and two, lets me add in interceptors or do special conditions just for that service and things like that. But but also then it's in its right place. It's only allowed to be from a service that HTTP calls are made. Um, how do you deal with that in your project if you're not using a larger framework or you're not using kind of any reactive style stuff? I guess that we... Um, the answer would be we still do things like in a, a, a traditional way. I mean, like we still would have, we still have like a central um, function that would handle like calls to APIs um, and they would just, they would just get the data back um, like very like old fashioned, if you like. Um, but we still use that. We still use that method. Um, so we would still, we don't repeat the code because we just have a utility function, which we, which we pass um, like a URL into um, and then make the call to an API um, and receive the data back. But we don't really do anything like more, I wouldn't say co like more complex, but we don't, we still rely on that basically. We still rely on the old ways. And up to now, like that works for us. But I think that our, um, the project that I currently work on is what you would say is a traditional, a traditional website. Um, yeah. It doesn't have, like, we, the, we have an, Angular applications, um, which are, um, which are old now, um, for, for want of a better word, and they're established and, and thankfully they're coded um, well enough that they don't really have any defects. They can just exist. Um, so, but those, those Angular applications do kind of have, they do have state in them. My, my only real experience with them is through these, uh, of using like state is, um, is through these Angular applications. So I'm not completely lost when you, when I hear you talk about the concepts. Um, I'm st I have worked in a project where we had actions, we had reducers, um, and we had a state object. Um, so I kind of, uh, I, 
I understand like the, the concepts of it. It's just that at the moment in the projects that I work on, we don't need that. Um, although like going off at a little bit of a tangent with the, with the fast and looseness of JavaScript, um, I, I think that more established developers, older developers like, um, like myself, um, sometimes we lose the, you that you could really do with something like TypeScript or the um, the the tighter control of things because the other day um, I was speaking with a junior and there was a and they had a problem with a function um, and didn't understand why it was breaking and it was for almost exactly the same reason that you gave in your example they they were just passing the wrong thing in they were passing a string when they should have been passing um, like uh, um, a node basically mm -hmm. so it was breaking um, they couldn't understand why it was never breaking before and it was simply that we always passed the right thing in before um, yeah. like now that just seemed as soon as that happened I knew exactly what had gone wrong but they didn't and uh, and then it struck me well you know this is like we this can't really like continue in the long term it's just it's just not good and at that moment i was like mm, maybe we should be using typescript in the project <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should incrementally uh, add this but anyway that's that is going off at a tangent yeah i you know i i'm looking forward to like when view 3 properly comes out and you know supports typescript sort of first class in there um i think that will push a lot of uh, adoption and it, it, you know, I mean, I think TypeScript is one. Like, Flux isn't really taking off anymore. And uh, as much as, you know, a Microsoft product, et cetera, I mean, they do do good work. There's some really interesting stuff. And it's good for library builders as well. I had a conversation with someone the other day that um, was providing us a library. And I was like, look, you know, you, you say that this property is necessary. Why don't you enforce that in the type file? Like, tell me that this has to be here. Um, and you know that there's these conditional types and these, you can pass through a generics as well. And, and he was like, his mind was blown. It was super cool. Um, it's helpful. I, I think that's the, the biggest key. And then it's the same thing with RxJS. It's helpful when you're dealing with a lot of this. So in your example, your site currently, currently I say, doesn't have a lot of asynchronous stuff really that isn't normal and isn't traditional. So yes, um, there's some stuff that your backend is giving you. It's technically still asynchronous, but they bundle it all together and deliver it with the HTML. Um, so that's fine. That That is state that is present when you do it. And then, you know, button clicks or, you know, working within an Angular app, that that's, you're not even to single page app territory yet. Um, you're, you're getting your data and the changes that happen are very small. They only update locally. You still don't need any sort of helpers or frameworks for that. But what happens when you have to handle login or log out and they don't want you to refresh the page? Um, it's not a, a huge difference, but now you suddenly have a button up there that needs to respond dynamically to whether this part of like, you know, this variable within your code or your window or whatever is true or false. Um, then you start to like kind of hack your way into it, right? It's not supernatural to do that. You have to have something that says like watches for it. You have to use a mutation observer maybe, um, or 
yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, think, it, I, I, I actually, I think you're right there. I mean, like, um, and it is interesting. I, I'm using the mutation observer like more and more, um, and maybe that should tell me something. Like, that's that is a very good point. Maybe that should tell me something. That like, do you really is the is the mutation observer really the thing that you that you want to use to solve this problem or are you looking at do you need like some kind of state management um yeah. like yeah it's a it's a really good point like it's genuinely something that i didn't think of it's like um maybe i've become a little bit obsessed with like um i've discovered the mutation observer and the intersection oh. observer and sure. I'm like i'm like wow these are these are amazing i'm going to use this again and again but that goes back to before when i asked you know is this always the right solution or are you like kind of blinded by it? Maybe I've been blinded by something else. So yeah, it's definitely something that I think um, it could be, it could be um, interesting to, to look at from my project's point of view. Um, so may, so maybe like going out to the listeners, maybe um, this is something that we all take a look at, even when we, where we think actually we, this isn't something we need. Maybe uh, these are, pointers that we do actually uh, need to consider uh, this different approach well and and another thing is it's easy to forget that you've been also dealing with certain asynchronous things for years which is to say lazy loading of images um, modularization of scripts and you know dealing with you know not loading your css until it's needed and and things of that nature right it's yeah. it's a necessity that's built in to what we do is to not do everything all at once because that can overwhelm the CPU or the internet connection or the user's brain. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we, there are those things that come into play. And it's interesting that certain, like, we're moving more and more to having native solutions for this. So promises didn't used to exist. People were having a tough time. Now they do. Promises weren't built into Node. Asynchronous stuff wasn't really built into Node. Now the one of the creators of Node has spun up Deno uh, to kind of rethink that and address this problem. And then the last point would be that, okay, we're moving into a web that is much more uh, piecemeal, especially with HTTP2 and the ability to load a bunch of stuff like in smaller chunks and change the way the page loads and things and now we're looking at kind of javascript modules and importing lazy loading basically imports um without anything complicated just natively like use this mjs extension if that takes off or whatever the case is it's it's becoming a really essential part of our jobs yeah i would i would definitely agree with that i mean the for me everything now is especially since http2 um is what can we deliver almost like just in time, like deliver this when you need it really like slim down everything else. Um, and try and try and limit the amount of data that you actually send, like really. So something like this, like this, this kind of, um, this kind of approach, um, I would see definitely like, gaining traction i mean it already has for sure because of the because of the frameworks but there are in in a traditional website like uh, the project that i currently work on where maybe we didn't see the need for it um 
in the future, it becomes more and more apparent. Um, I certainly, like genuinely, like from the, the things you've said in the last 10 minutes, genuinely, like that started to make me think about how could I actually introduce this. Um, it's it, Now I think like a lot of the conversations that I have um, regarding like performance and improving performance could definitely relate to this. Um, so yeah, I mean, like it's something already you've got me thinking. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a, a lot of, I mean, it's just an important skill to have. And again, coming back to the, the topic of the episode, thinking about things asynchronously and things over time humans are just not good at that i mean some people are for sure and you can get good at it but intrinsically it's really hard people struggle to plan even like a month ahead much less a year ahead and in javascript time um or web page load time you know 10 seconds is a year right so it's hard don't you know let's not take that for granted and that's probably why it's not in pop culture uh so frequently as like yeah that guy's known for that because it's really easy for us to understand and follow <laughs> uh superman is red and blue and a little bit of yellow fine perfect i got it in my head time travel time concepts are not that way so uh but it's time that we as front enders started to pick that up um okay we're into that time where we get into our like segments and follow-up stuff. We have our normal segment, which is no longer new, uh, True Heroes. Um, in this segment, we want to highlight um, true front-end heroes working across the planet and thank them for all that they do. So far, we've been pretty localized, and today's uh, choice is no different. Um, this person that uh, we're, we're putting forward now, I think Scott and I both have really been influenced by um, when uh, I started really working in front-end development this guy was there to act as not just a mentor which was part of the role he took on but also as a an example right someone like a role model to to look up to um he's younger than me that's cool um just goes to show um but what i always admired about him was that he was calm and creative and cared and for me those are really uh ironically uh, three C's, but um, they really uh, matter to to being the kind of person that I want to be and the kind of engineer I want to be. So, um, uh, Eric uh, Grishjan, um Scott, you can correct me if I'm saying his name wrong, <laughs> and perhaps to say his last name. I think it's Grishin. Oh well, there you go. Um, yes, thank you for all that you do, and Scott, you uh, can also add on here. Yeah, um, I would echo all of the things that you just said, and one. I mean, he's a standout developer. Um, anybody who comes across him knows this. Um, but as a little as a little anecdote, um, it's his calmness. I think you you definitely touched on it. His calmness, especially under pressure. Um, and I remember his influence on me particularly. One one sprint we had, um, he was like I was panicking. There's no two ways about it. I could not make something work. I didn't understand why it didn't work. Um, we were coming very close to delivery and it still didn't work. And it was my responsibility. I mean, ultimately as the lead, it was it was his responsibility, but it was something that I was working on. Um, I remember going into the office super early, like spending hours, like trying to make something work. It didn't work. Really, I was concerned. 
And I remember Eric walked into the office, said, good morning. How's things going? I immediately said, this is, it's going really badly. It's going really badly. I can't make this work. Like we got delivery soon. And I can remember clear as day. He, he took his scarf off, his coat off, uh, looked at me and said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go and play a nice game of kicker. We're mm -hmm. going to get a cup of coffee. Um, we're going to maybe have some breakfast. Um, <laughs> and then uh, and then we'll come down and we'll get on with the work and i said no no it doesn't work we've like you're not really understanding and he said no come on we're going to do all of these things don't worry this is going to be fine and you know what like by the end of the day it was fine but yeah. and and i really try and carry that through into my work now like i really try and put that across to people who work with me like let's just calm down things are going to be okay like we just need clear heads and I, I salute Eric every day for that. <laughs> One of the things that I really appreciated and, and for me was the role model, which I'm still not good at was his getting his ego out of the way. He is super talented and he is super good. And he knows a lot about a lot of things, not just front end, but just, you know, general soft skills are great too, but you don't hear him crowing about it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm bad about that. Like, I'm, I'm not like, Hey, look at me. I'm the best ever, but I tend to inject myself. One of the reasons we have this podcast is I like to talk. Um, he would always sort of just take himself out of the equation. When we had our one-on-one -on -one meetings, it was like that. It wasn't, Hey, this is what I've done. It's I'm here to listen. Tell me what you need and ask the right questions at the right time. And then when, the time came for me to actually step up and lead a project that he was still going to develop on because they weren't sure if they could trust me. He needed to be there as a fallback. He stepped back and let me run the show and feed him tickets as, you know, need be. And it was kind of mind blowing. Um, that's a really hard thing, I think, to do when you're, when you love what you do and you're good at what you do and you know it to have the, um, be humble enough to sort of step back and let other people shine too. So also calling them out. Wonderful guy. Thank you so much. Well done, true hero. Um, any proper hero, of course, is a well-rounded one. So we're sharing our musical picks as well. I hope you liked it. If you have any comments, share them as well. Um, I think it's a fun thing to do. So, Scott, what's the favorite thing you've been listening to lately? I've been listening to, well, um, I'll nominate somebody. Uh, I'll nominate an album by uh, Tame Impala. Uh, it's called mm -hmm. The Slow Rush. Um I've listened to it a few times. I, I really like it. Um, they're a band that, honestly, that I'm aware of, but like some of the things that they've done have like passed me by. Um, yeah, so I would recommend that you check that out. And also, I, I've been listening to a lot of um, Joe Beving that you nominated yeah. a few episodes ago. Like, yeah. man, this uh, this stuff's really good for developing. <laughs> like, especially working from home and like the whole family's here. Like to put some of that on just like helps you focus really good so that was a great pick by you thanks um yeah my my, my pick this week is um also a little more focus driven uh it's it's moving a little towards what i i honestly listen to more frequently than not which is more like i don't know video gamey electronic kind of stuff um it's the soundtrack i think it's the soundtrack to hyper light drifter anyway the album's called hyper light drifter uh, by disaster piece um very ambient, very slow, uh, instrumental, but there's some cool stuff and it's, it's pretty long as well. Like most tracks are two or three minutes long and there's 28 tracks. So, uh, there's a lot of substance there and it's, it's 
yeah, it's good. I've been really uh, enjoying going into that. So, um, looks like that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you joined the show, you should like, heart, or star us in your podcatcher of choice. Reviews and ratings are how the fancy algorithms help people find our content. And the power to help is within you. If you have any questions or topics you want covered in our next episode, send a tweet to us at Heroes Front End on Twitter, and we'll add it to our list. And until next time, Heroes, remember, with great front-end power comes great responsibility. See you next time.